Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Reaction Podcast, your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture, where it's always our mission to arm you with the tools that you need to resist the mononarrative and the other thing. What's the other thing? Uh, cut through media misdirection. That's it. We got David Rand here to talk about all this stuff. What are we talking about today, David? Well, first off, we got the conflict between Israel and Palestine has split both the right and the left. A lot of interesting ways, a lot of ways to get into that this week. Uh, the Vivek versus Haley war has spilled out of foreign policy and gone in a lot of other interesting directions, including many personal attacks to talk about. And then lastly, Ukraine has accused one of their own special ops agents of orchestrating the Nord Stream pipeline bombing. A lot of implications of that. Wow. It's as if we might. We might have just been right all along. Maybe we'll find Maybe. out. <laughs> Kyle Mack, how are you, sir? Doing good. And while you guys are here, remember to like, comment, subscribe on wherever you are listening to this podcast. Um, and also remember these uh, chapter marks down below to be able to skip around to whatever topic is most interesting to you. And join our Discord. Yes. It's a lot of fun in there. The IMF put out propaganda to explain to the plebs what inflation is. They didn't mention the money supply. I wonder why. The Biden administration bypassed 26 federal laws to build additional border wall in South Texas. Somehow they still managed to blame Republicans for this horribly racist act. A Pentagon official was charged by federal authorities with promoting and furthering an illegal dogfighting ring in Maryland. The Republican caucus did not appreciate the characterization. For all these stories and more, join the Discord. To let us know what we should cover in the next episode of Human Reaction. And actually, we, we got some feedback from someone. We we maybe need to do a tutorial on how to join the Discord. Because <laughs> there was a question. I have gotten messages about I'm too boomer for these like new gen te- uh, technologies. So. I totally get it. I was It was very foreign to me as well. Um, Maybe we'll just come out with like a good old fashioned email list or maybe do some direct mail uh, for those folks that, uh, that don't feel like joining a discord. Yeah. Drop your PO box. We'll send you a letter. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll update you when the episodes are coming out. We got you. In fact, we'll do a print version of the transcript of the show just for you guys. <laughs> yeah. You can transcribe it all. Yeah. Delivered by carrier pigeon. <laughs> okay. Um, if you do want to join the discord links in the show notes down below the video. Let's get into it. What are we talking about first, David? So the Israel Hamas issue has split both the left and the right in some really interesting ways. Now, first up, we got Ben Shapiro has gone after Candace Owens, who for her faux, quote, faux sophistication, end quote, on Israel. Just to clarify, um, Candace Owens works for Ben Shapiro at the Daily Wire. Well, he doesn't know. He's not the CEO of the Daily Wire. He's, oh. a, he's an editor there. so He's a co-owner, though. Yeah, she, he yeah. would be higher ranking than her, but he, he's not the sole decision rights owner. Okay, of that. but just so it's fact, clear for folks that aren't familiar with that ecosystem, they're co-workers effectively. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So the Daily Wire has been split in half by this conflict functionally. Exciting. Right? Um, and Because Candace is one of the bigger voices on on their platform, of course. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you have that dynamic. Do we want to watch the the video of that yeah so i got a video here of candace being interviewed by tucker carlson so we are going to react to candace reacting to ben shapiro reacting to her oh, in a so super meta, meta fashion play, play the inception sound right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the internet was dominated yesterday by video of ben shapiro who you work with at the daily wire um att- i think it's fair to say attacking you here's the video i just want to get your reaction to Yes, uh, and then the question is about Candace Owens. I think her behavior during this administration. That is it. Yeah. 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 I think that her, her faux sophistication on these particular issues 
has been ridiculous. It's not so sophistication, it's ridiculous. Everybody can see the moves that she's making and the things that she's saying, and I find them distractible. Hmm. So maybe there's a point in the video where he explains what exactly you did wrong, how you were wrong. I, I haven't seen it. Wow. Um, but to call somebody, quite, quote, check. absolutely disgraceful, particularly a coworker, seems like a pretty big step. What? And, and I really don't know the background here. What is that about? You know, there isn't much of a background. I saw the video when everybody else saw it when I woke up. Um, no one he, no one warned you about it? Nobody warned me about it. I, I, it looks like maybe he didn't know he was being recorded. It looks yes. like it was some sort of a private event. I got no clarity on the issue that he was particularly speaking on. And in what was said, I also, I can't respond to it beyond what he's saying because it's just ad hominem attacks. I don't know. Yeah, because it's not, you know, we disagree or yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think she's correct or maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about. It's absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, exactly. And so I can't respond to it on a level of intellect because there, there's nothing that he has expressed in that, at least in that short clip that he fundamentally disagrees with in terms of what I said. But I will say that, I'm not going to respond with the same ad hominem attacks. Yes. I don't think it helps further discussion. And it, if I, that was me that was caught on a video saying that about colleagues that I work with. I would be embarrassed. I would. So I think that the video speaks more to Ben's character than it speaks to mine. Has he texted you to apologize or explain or anything? No, nothing. I haven't heard a single word. It just was sort of something that he said. And you know what? Ben, and I have many disagreements. So I don't think that that's particularly something that's interesting um, we disagreed on the COVID vaccine. We disagree yes. on Ukraine and Russia. He has taken virtually every stance that has been the opposite of mine on every issue uh, over the last five years. So I don't think that that's particularly the COVID remarkable. Vaccine. Really, I didn't remember that. Yeah, he was pro the COVID vaccine. I was anti the vaccine. You know, we were all idiots for not getting the vaccine. So that's totally fine. I, I am totally open to people having a difference in opinion. Right. I would hope that amongst colleagues that it would always be civil disagreement and i would never in a private event stand on a table and talk badly about ben i mean yikes yeah it, it seems to me like like candace kind of is taking the high road here not just stooping to the the ad hominem thing well what's I your take that uh, lasted for a little bit and oh then, yeah yeah then again then then this after this dropped it went on to twitter where they started going back and forth on twitter continuing what wasn't seen here which is in the wake of the attack there was things that she was putting out very specifically what he's referring to is an interview she did with a Jewish comedian where she asked questions about Israel Hamas as like someone who's trying to get under an understanding of the uh, issue in Palestine. And um, I think that's what he means by faux sophistication is he is saying what, what heard questioning of both sides and treating both sides as if the IDF could be lying and that Hamas could be lying or that, either one could be making mistakes or could not necessarily be the good guy and one's the bad guy. Um, so Ben's calling that sort of nuanced questioning faux sophistication. Yeah, that, that appears to be, that's how I'm reading what he's saying. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be very curious if there was something more specific in that. I didn't get to watch her, her interview with the guy. She said that she did make mistakes in that interview. For example, she was accused of confusing the, the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem as like Jim Crow, when mm. it's it's just happens, it's like saying Chinatown. We don't actually keep people in Chinatown and like who yeah. are Chinese there by rule. Right. It's just kind of how it's wound up. Yeah. Um, now there's some interesting dynamics there with that with Jerusalem that it does become complicated when you look at violence, um, you know, before and after the Independence War. But that said, the overall part is she made mistakes in that interview, but they weren't like mistakes of malice. These were mistakes of like she just doesn't know the issue that deeply. And she sees herself as an America first conservative trying to engage in good faith on the issue. And he is doing attacks of this such. Uh, do you want to dive into the kind of the Twitter 
debate yeah so candace started off with this i have the tweet pulled up right here but uh she basically is quoting a bible verse and saying you cannot serve uh, both god and money afterwards um you can't serve two masters uh Ben Shapiro then goes in to respond, Candace, if you feel that taking money from the Daily Wire somehow comes between you and God, by all means, quit. Um, and then Candace goes into saying, you have been acting unprofessional and, un and emotionally unhinged for weeks now, and we have all had to sit back and allow it and have all tried to exercise exceeding understanding for your raw emotion. But you cross a certain line when you come for scripture and read yourself into it. I will not tolerate it. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely going into it's becoming very personal. Well, it's, it has a particular uh, set of racial and religious overtones that are happening mm -hmm. here, right? I mean, uh, calling a black person, uh, you know, who is trying to engage in an intellectual discussion as faux sophisticated has underlying kind of anti-black biases built into it, right? It's kind of like saying uh, someone is well-spoken for a black guy, right? Mm. It's just it's just a way to like, it kind of reveals your cards of like your underlying assumptions of the race. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a backhanded and sort of, yeah, that's right. really interesting. People could get there with that. Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying that that was his motivation, but that does, it's like that, it's like ringing a bell. You know what I mean? It just it just rings and like you kind of get the impression that, that there's something's happening there. That like there's like a, this is a one of the cultural touch points that we hit on as a culture when it comes to race relations. Mm. Her coming back around and posting this about the relationship between service of money and God and things like that touch a anti-Semitic bell that mm. is very much like, whoa, wait a minute here. Like, is it is this a thing that you are trying to do to justify like why the Daily Wire or why you're is this like an underhanded subtweet sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and then and then there's been more back and forth there. Like, she also retweeted him. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, right she's quote tweeting him here, saying, "You are utterly out of line for suggesting that I cannot quote biblical scripture. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about you." Is also interesting. Like that could be interpreted as it's Ooh. not about any individual, or it could be not because he's Jewish and doesn't doesn't subscribe to the New Testament, right? When this is what we're talking about, very specifically, if you go down a little bit, the Christ is King thing mm -hmm. is was very triggering for a lot of people, right? Because it's like very specifically about the religious conflict between Jews and Christians for a very long time about the interpretation of Jesus as, you know, God. Additionally to that, there's the, so you, so you have the racial like undertones that are happening here of, um, and then you have the religious undertones of what's happening here. And then this is also getting built into a lot of the other comparisons of like the response after um, we covered a little bit on our podcast, but after the the attacks on the on the seventh, uh, the Israeli response, a lot of people were like, whoa, what's going to happen? You know, there's a lot of that happening. And there was a lot of people who said some very disturbing things, especially amongst very lefty Black Lives Matter, we covered that um, in like student groups and stuff like that, that were very much being like, well, Israel kind of deserved it completely like that. How at all, how you should think of this conflict at all. Right. But they kind of went there and that offended a lot of people. So part of the Tucker Candace interview, they get into a debate about like, well, all of a sudden you had these people who are back in these universities who um, now are just now pulling their support based upon this speech. But what about all the speech during Black Lives Matter that was so disturbing? Why didn't they pull their speech then? Now, mm. I kind of think of it, Kyle and I might disagree on this a little bit. I kind of think of this as a silence is violence sort of argument, right? 
silence and violence, uh, silence is violence arguments are like, you didn't say things when I think you should have said things. And therefore you endorsed, I, I can prescribe to you a philosophy that you wouldn't necessarily prescribe to yourself. Yeah. Right. But I don't, I don't think that's the whole of what they're of Candace's take, but I do think it's kind of, it's like a related, it's like the same species of argument. Well, I, I, I think it goes a little bit deeper than that because it's not just that they didn't say anything during the, um, all the, the nonsense that's been happening on universities the past decade. It's more so like they, they did say things and then there was calls to like, yeah, we should defund things and then nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, now we have to defund the universities. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like where your actual virtue lies. Like it's very telling on people um, for who was kind of just talk back in those times versus now when there's kind of Israel stuff going on. Now everybody's like, Oh, we got to defund the universities because, because student groups are saying mean things about, you know, like, it's more so that that is like there was kind of like a lot of it seems like there was a lot of faux outrage back right. then sort of like so faux sophistication right, right. there's a lot of faux outrage right. back in the last decade over the universities and I, and I do think there's a there's a legitimate criticism there in the sense of that i remember watching some of these out and was like wait a minute they're talking they're calling for what <laughs> you know like kill all white people was like on a poster board and everyone was okay with that i I was disturbed and not only because I'm a white dude, uh, but also because you're saying kill people and that's, that's, that's not protected speech. That's like, that's a call for violence. Right. Yeah. Specifically. And like, like I, I'm a, I'm a free speech radical. I think all these, I think what, uh, um, what, um, DeSantis has been doing, trying to ban student groups that are say things or banning colleges who, you know, boycott Israel and things like that, that are completely silly and not how we should think about freedom of association, freedom of speech and things like that. But that said, uh, um, I think that radical language is, is a, is a huge problem. I'm just not sure that I have as clear of a memory of like a pressure to have people pull their support from these universities. Oh yeah. What I remember is more of a general call for that, but then nothing really happened because of it. Yeah. And largely because probably because you know, a lot of these funders are probably lefties, you know, there's a lot and, of, there's and a lot of right wing funders to these institutions. Cause they're, it's all their like alma maters and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But right. I imagine they're probably more culturally left and probably mostly they were saying that the larger case of BLM was that there are problems in our criminal justice system. We should address them. And I think most people are like, yeah, I, well, I well so like, here's the thing. That. So, most of these media outlets like Daily Wire and like a lot of these kind of groups, they're all, they're all, they all have 501c3 and 501c4 arms to them. Mm. And so like a lot of these people that are like big donors to universities that are big businessmen are that are also supporting these organizations. So like they have like there are right wing people that are tied in with the universities. Like, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of right wing people are very rich, too. Right. right. <laughs> like, like, but those people didn't really do anything. They didn't pull out of the universities despite them like kind of funding these the 501c3s for places like daily wire and mm-hmm. stuff like that's where the money entanglement thing is is questionable because mm. it's like it's, it's kind of just like where were you then like mm. why didn't you do anything then like why is now the time that you like there it says something about like the instincts of people of like where their values actually lie right um that's uh, that, that's what like and it's it's yeah there's kind of a silence is violence thing to it like there's kind of that too and you know in some ways that's kind of true like <laughs> like you are funding your enemies in a lot of ways right <laughs> right well and it's, it's 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 positing a a it's giving a positive out of a negative right mm-hmm. i say you didn't do something therefore that tells me something you did do that's like the worst faith way that you can make an argument in my opinion right because like if you say you have to have this opinion i think you should have in order to 
be consistent. And if you don't have that, that tells me something about you. Like you can make that point, but you can't make that your whole point about that person. And, and what we're doing is we're also being a little bit of a collectivist here. We're taking all the donor classes for all of the major universities and we're lumping them on, but like, why are you criticizing that? Right. It's not, I, a, I imagine Candace has very particular people in mind because sure. she is roped in with the daily wire. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I think that could be, she probably directly knows many of the major donors that exist. Right. Possibly. And, and I'm not saying that there's no individualism that can't be had here, but I, I would just, I would just caution anyone to this, this sort of thinking. It also spiraled into, in the X space, into a discussion with Elon Musk, who, who also enjoyed into this whole thing and got invo- embroiled into a discussion about like the ADL, their definition of racism. Do you still have that up? Mm, I, I, well, I think it's very telling about the current moment when it comes to this question, right? Because you do have like, what does it mean to be anti-Semitic when we're throwing around these terms? Like, for example, um, there was an interview this week of a guy talking about the Al Shifa hospital and whether or not it was a, 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 an, a headquarters of Hamas. Now the news reporter he's talking to wasn't willing to just like go into it with him and just like, well, the IDF says that it's necessarily Hamas based. Therefore it is like, he was just saying, well, it, we need a third party to authenticate that. We can't just take it. And he said, by justifying this, by doing that, you are, you're acting in anti-Semitic ways by questioning what the IDF says. Uh, so how does the ADL define racism? Yeah. So the ADL is defining it with the marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. So there's an inherent bias here that exists where, and this is very much in line with the postmodern thought of because white people have been at the top of the hierarchy, there's no way that you can actually be racist about them because it's about the power dynamics between mm-hmm. them, right? And they're putting it directly into as a, an interim definition of racism. Wow. And, and what's, what's frustrating here is that racism in the classical understanding was this is where you say that the defining characteristic of a people is their race or of any individual is their race, not things like their ethnicity, like their culture or, you know, not things like their individual value. Uh, contrast that with what MLK said about like the dream is where people are judged by the content of the character, not the color of their skin. And the, the the trick here is that there's a sense in which this is correct in the sense of like or oftentimes why this seems intuitive to a lot of people it's oftentimes in america our 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 way of relating to it is in jim crow and slavery and things like this um it isn't in terms of like an idea right that can go both ways so mm. it, but i do think this is wrong i think this 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 is a um this starts with the idea that power is how words are generated, not truth, right? That the goal of words is to implement power dynamics. And this is very specifically a power play to say that you can't be racist against white people as opposed to an investigation of the facts or, or the ideas and why ideas are right or wrong in a good faith way. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah well, it's, it's one of those things where if you're to win a fight in the long term, like a lot of the stuff just comes down to, to battling over definitions, like who gets the definition right. And so often, often my critique of right wing people and libertarians is they're often like subsumed by the definitions that are placed upon them. 
Um, so like, like the left has for the last hundred years basically had the entire cultural landscape on lock where everything is put into their terms. Everything has to be fought by the battlefield that they set. So you're already at a losing battle because they control the battlefield that they get to determine what the environment is and they have all the advantage. Well, everybody's just being like, well, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not racist. I'm not, you know, but they're playing with these, with the terminology that the left is putting in front of them. Um, so in order to win, you actually have to actually redefine things. You have to make up your own words and make them culturally significant. You have to, you have to win the battle by winning the language in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and it seems like the right is starting to shift on that and understanding the cultural phenomenon that exists there, but it's still not quite there yet. Well, it's interesting to me because it, within this conflict specifically between Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, I see the possibility that this is sort of a, any publicity is good publicity opportunity. You know, not that they don't have real fundamental disagreements on this issue. I'm sure that they do, but it's also an opportunity to just get both of their personalities further out into the, into the cultural landscape than they may have otherwise gone. Had they not had this sort of perhaps faux division or this like little, you know, tiff in the public space. Do you think there's potential that this is like some sort of publicity stunt on their behalf? I, I think Candace believes what she's saying. I don't think it's necessarily to drum up um, major attention um, by creating this like internal squabble. I think that there is actually an internal squabble. Mm. I, I've, I've met Candace twice and I've always like, I could, I always felt about her that she's kind of a, <laughs> she, she seems like an honest actor to me. Um, you know, you might disagree with her th- stuff. Like it's, it's kind of one of those things where I, I think she's, trying to be honest like she, she might be wrong but she's not lying you might disagree with her somewhere sure. that kind of a thing um i i think that she legitimately believes what she's saying about the israel hamas conflict and, and kind of taking much more of a middle ground on it do you believe um, that ben shapiro truly believes what he's saying as well uh yes religiously so yeah like he is on this it, issue yeah he is israel no matter what yeah um and to a to a to such a degree where i'm like it, it, it kind of creeps me out some way in some ways. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think, um, I think this like is, he is a ghoul on this issue. Mm, like, oh man. Yeah. I mean like he is, if you look at his tweets, yeah. is that a technical term? Ghoul? <laughs> oh, okay. The things that the guy has said about Arabs are disturbing. Really? Like, Oh yeah. I mean, it's the worst things you can say about a group of people to dehumanize them. And that's, that's the, that's the trick, right? I mean, like, I get it. He sees himself as a tribal member in a tribal fight with another tribe. And I mean that on like the psychological level mm-hmm. and they are, and that will bring out the absolute worst in the human being. And that's the trick is like, what's what Candace is saying here, raw emotion. Like you're behaving unhinged. Those sorts of things. Well, that seems very clear to me in the last week. Like the idea that the Israeli government is unable to lie or be deceitful is absolutely absurd because all governments lie and are deceitful. Well, and they are a government. Yeah. They're not special. Right. In my in my mind, and I don't see how you can be an American conservative and not see like the very perverse incentive they have to manipulate you. Yeah. Well, that was obviously a central point of uh, of one of the debates that happened this last week on this very topic between Dave Smith and and Laura Loomer. And hmm. it's interesting it it illuminates this this divide I think within the conservative uh, you know, side of the political spectrum in America of there is this component of it that's unwilling to admit that Israel can and has done wrong when when those things are well documented and it's a it's a really interesting like willingness to turn a blind eye to that while pointing out all these other flaws Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's a it's an interesting cognitive dissonance it doesn't just exist you know on on any one side of the political spectrum happens everywhere and in this case it's like it's pretty glaring Mm -hmm. like how what is that about why why does that exist 
And that might be an impossible question, yeah, but why, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Why are some people willing, not willing to criticize Israel? Is that what your question yeah. is? Well, clearly the Bible says that the Likud party can do no, no wrong. <laughs> clearly, clearly the Bible. It's right in there. Yeah, clearly, clearly the Bible wrote that. Well, I mean, 2000 it, years ago, they predicted the rise of BB uh, in 2000. Right? There's so many, there's so many collectivist errors in the whole problem, right? I mean, that's like Israel's all one thing. Obviously, Israel is a complex society and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Israel, that there's there's always been this one or two state division, you know, solution question, right? Um, and different parties have acted in different ways to make that happen. And so when you debate Israel versus Palestine, you're in this question of how these aggregates are behaving when it's actually, that's like a boiled down, like crude way to think about it, when it's actually a bunch of individuals acting. Um, and so what gets bogged into that argument and why it becomes so hard for some people is because they tribally identify with one side. They've decided my side's the good guys and your side's the bad guys. This week, for example, we had this whole thing happen with um, the uh, bin Laden's letter to America, right? Where it went like viral on TikTok for a little bit. And now everyone's calling to censor TikTok for this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to completely change this topic here, but I'm trying to make like the reason why that is such a huge deal is because there is such a gap between people's sophisticated understanding of the reasons for the GWAT, the war on the global war on terror, and people's like superficial vision of this. And the superficial is one side's the good guys and the other side's the bad guys. And I pick the side of the good guys because I'm a good guy, mm-hmm. right? That's that's not how. Uh, this might be a new mental model. Like the closer you are to any topic, the more insane the world looks. Mm, right because the closer you are to looking at anything that has to do with america's foreign policy the way it's discussed and and like by normal people like on on the on like on the news or in social media or whatever the crazier everything seems or the more like clown worldish everything seems because the idea that the american that any government's foreign policy is just we're the good guys fighting the bad guys is so childish and ridiculous Anywhere on the war and the planet, if it's Russia saying that about itself, it's false. If it's the IDF saying it, it's probably false. And we should think about that in better in, in categories that actually like apply to all governments rather than like saying this government's my identity. Right. Yeah. And holding ourselves separate from like that tribal identity so that we can actually engage in good faith. Yeah. And that's what that's that's what happened with the, you know, Loomer versus Dave Smith debate is that Smith of the. All three people on this on this panel right here are Jewish uh, to varying degrees of religiosity or identity with Israel. And what we have here is like this discussion that says one side is basically Laura came across as, well, Islam is bad. In fact, I mean, her rating of that is something we could talk about. But yeah, Islam bad. Therefore, Palestinians bad. Israel good because Jewish good because Jewish Western Therefore, Jewish can do anything to the Jews can do anything to to the Palestinians. Yeah, that's like her argument. Yeah, and and I, when I when I say that, I mean she conflates Judaism with Israel. Yeah, sure. Like they're like, one in the same. She makes that case about her side. Yeah, right. Which is itself confuses and 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 doesn't allow you to separate the complex aggregate phenomena into individual parts that you can actually like investigate. Yeah, and, and I mean even as someone who myself you know admittedly is not an expert on this topic or very many at all in fact i wouldn't consider myself an expert on anything really her takes just did seem to lack nuance 
like she she just had a very tribal perspective and it was just very much party line and at one point dave did call her out he's like well look we're having kind of two different conversations here because you're a partisan and i'm not Mm -hmm. and i'm looking at this from like kind of another level up and she's embedded in the sort of like collectivist tribalist viewpoint it was it was a really interesting dynamic well and here i have a clip from from here where uh dave tries to kind of lay out the actual perspective of the muslim world here um so uh check it out you push a blank check yeah do whatever you want to do drop bombs on whoever the hell you want to drop bombs oh, on. I, I should i should reference before we ju- dr- jump into this that he's um referencing 9-11 here of how america felt after the attack on 9-11 mm-hmm. and how we uh just gave bush a blank check to do whatever to to handle it right yeah so he's kind of laying out the perspective <laughs> that's probably important context he's, think- he's not saying that we should do that right yeah you push a blank check yeah do whatever you want to do drop bombs on whoever the hell you want to drop bombs on because we are pissed off because we got hit and someone else has to suffer for this well, was it really the people who did it is it just innocent people who are and dying? Now we're anyways? suffering. Whatever. We're the terrorists. Okay, we are fine. the terrorists in our the country. The Muslim world has had a thousand 9-11s. And if you sit here and go, look, just imagine, try to imagine, be really genuine here, okay? Because we're going to see it. We're so much better than the Islamic world. And, and you know what? I generally do think we are. But even us, who's so much better than them, imagine not one 9-11, but a thousand 9-11s happened here. What would that look like? And then let's say after a thousand 9-11s happened here, let's say whoever, Iran did it. And then Iran invades and they overthrow our government and they prop up their own government. And now they rule us. What do you think the like the toughest right wing militia members in America would be doing? They'd be throwing Molotov cocktails through their government building. They'd be running up suicide bombing themselves. And I bet they'd yell something about Jesus before they did it, too, because they'd probably start clinging to their religion. So I'm just saying that, like, if we're unwilling in this in this debate, in this divide, try make a real effort to put ourselves in their shoes and go, what would we do in that situation? If you imagine, listen, this is 1948 is not that long ago. Philosophy requires the mature investigation into the underlying moral human reaction to the world, right? If you only stay on the superficial level that says, I'm going to be on the side of the good guys and I'm not going to ask the question of how the other guy feels. That's like, it's like, it's like an egoist response, right? Like when you're trying to deal with like a little kid, the little kid is like, can't see things from anything else than their point of view. And a big part of maturity is helping someone put themselves in another person's shoes. One of the real disturbing parts of our politics is the degree to which we are reward people who reinforce our childlike relationship to the world, where we say, oh, it doesn't matter how our foreign policy affects the world. If they do something we don't like, we are forced to do something counterproductive and you know destructive, where it's like, no, that's still a choice. You're making each decision here. And adults take responsibility for that, put themselves in their shoes, and then try to devise situations to put an end to the cycle of violence rather than perpetuating it. And that's that's like, I'm just unpacking Smith's point here. Uh, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is an immediate visceral attraction to the most base reaction to something, I think. 
especially when when there's trauma involved or there's pain or suffering right like right. you want retribution like you can feel it like mm-hmm. we've all been there angry at something right but it is the the thing that separates us from literal animals right is the ability to reason the ability to rise above that to downregulate that like instinctive emotional response and do something make a different choice and i think that's the real opportunity we're missing here as humans is understanding like these are humans we're talking about these are people not palestinians not israelis not terrorists not hamas not anybody like that they're not groups right they're people these are individuals that have real lives and real things that matter and what really just bums me out is that we're not able to have that conversation like Mm -hmm. Like Dave Smith is, is having that conversation, but it's almost as if he's having that conversation to himself mm-hmm. because it's not being reciprocated. Well, yeah. that's, that's the thing about wisdom. You have to choose it, right? You have to choose to say, I'm going to try to elevate myself into putting myself in the other person's shoes. But that is a choice that requires you to sacrifice who you were before, right? The person you were before was a child and you have to recognize that child and like see them and realize that it's time to grow up. Get to put away childish things like seeing the world through binaries, like seeing the world through false choices, uh, such as you got the good guys and the bad guys. And this is all there really is to say about it. Right. I mean, she denies the Nakba completely in here. In this. She like, was so good at not answering questions. <laughs> well, and, and there, there was also elements where she either clearly didn't know things or she just kind of like pretended like she didn't know things. And like yeah. things like Benjamin Netanyahu propping up Hamas, right? Yeah. Like Dave was bringing that out and she was just like, oh, she just kind of like pretended like it's not a thing, right? right? Yeah, that was the weirdest thing to me. It's like, how do you just glaze over that and ignore it and not acknowledge it. He brought it up like six times yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and tried to get her to like, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Yeah. yeah. And she just would kind of avoid it and be like, well, Islam is like, you know, and it just kind of moves on to just like, it, it was, it was nonsense. Well, that shows yeah. that it's dogmatism. Mm-hmm. Like it's there's really a difference is. between a dogmatic person. Um, like what, what am I looking for here? The dogmatic person who's in, who's, who's decided to embrace that. To, to embrace the tribalism, say, no, that's my identity, as opposed to the person who is trying to look for truth and virtue and goodness. These can't be done at the same time because the minute you decide that your, your identity is wrapped into the political agenda of any politician, you've given up your individuality. You're not an individual anymore, and you've got to differentiate yourself from those things in order to actually investigate what is true, what is wise, what is good, what is virtuous. Bingo. Um, also in this debate... We had a question that was asked in there. They, they, yeah, they, they good shout job on the Twitter, out. Joe. They hey, us out. Thanks. Hey. I'm, I'm really trying hard to get engaged in the Twitter space. Now it's more Kyle's world, but <laughs> I happen to be watching the debate, and you know there were some there were some questions that I had that, that I don't feel got addressed. Well, it's interesting. There was a Q and A, and there was two there's two questions asked, and it was us, and then it was our buddy Liam, who's going to be on the show next week. That's right. Um, and we were the we were the two that got asked. Montana <laughs> representing. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, here comes from us. Here's from the human reaction on X. He says, question, this is probably for you. Uh, For those fiscal conservatives concerned about growing debt and reckless spending, but also supporting U.S. financial support of Israel, how do you reconcile the effect of additional military spending on U.S. national debt and taxpayer interest? Well, I've already said that uh, I'm, I'm completely against the continued resolution. Uh, that Speaker uh, Mike Johnson just put forth. 
Uh, I've been very critical of uh, the GOP uh, breaking their promises when it comes to not just eliminating aid to Ukraine, but also adding additional aid to Israel. I think that there's ways that we can combat this terror threat and stand with Israel and also combat anti-Semitism without sending billions more dollars to Israel, Ukraine, or, you know, any other issue. Do you support the foreign aid to Israel? Can I I hope I answered the the question. Well, let me just answer the question very directly. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's completely insane. Cut all foreign aid. We are 30 plus trillion dollars in debt. The idea that we are taxing, there's that Ron Paul always said, right? Foreign aid is taxing poor people in rich countries to send to rich people in poor countries. And the fact that we're still doing this while our country is collapsing and we're falling apart is insane. Absolutely right. And I do appreciate, I'm trying to give Loomer some credit here, that that she is trying to say that this isn't needed, right? Um, the fourth largest and most powerful military in the world probably doesn't need the support of the first largest, most powerful military in the world, especially when we are 10 times more powerful than the one that's in the number two position. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there's an inherent inconsistency in her argument that Dave has pointed to that yeah. it's like, it's very clear that... Um, you know, after we've given how many how many billions of dollars has gotten Israel gotten since her founding? Two hundred and forty billion, uh, I want to say two hundred and sixty billion, somewhere in there. Jamie, it's look in it up. the quarter trillion range. <laughs> and I'm just saying that this it's pretty um it's been a very su- substantial support for a very long time. And you know, it is a small part of the overall debt problem. Social security and overall military spending is a larger part of that, but it's the one where it's most clear that it has negative effects, such as the fact that the the motivation for the people who uh, bombed us on 9-11 was because of our interventions in the Middle East and because of our support of Israel. Um, if we had stopped in the 2000s, Israel would still be the most powerful military in the Middle East. Um, and our security umbrella is probably not benefited um, by Israel. I really don't know what the heck Nikki Haley is talking about when, says, when she says that we need Israel. Israel doesn't need us, or, uh, us when we're giving them a quarter trillion dollars. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that would appear to be 260 billion. Yeah, it's yeah I was right, right? Yeah. I was, didn't I say 260? I was like 250, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nailed yeah, it. since Got World numbers. War II. Um, well, it's also this thing too with her is that feels like, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, it's very easy to say in her position to say like, oh, well, we shouldn't give them money. Well, money. It was well, like, she, well, then what she, are we talking about? She also <laughs> said additional foreign aid. She didn't say, I, I want to get yeah. rid of foreign aid. She said yeah. any additional foreign yeah, aid. Yeah, like I, I imagine, you know, if push came to shove and, and you know, this is just me psychoanalyzing her a little bit and maybe I shouldn't do that. But I imagine, you know, there ends up being a blank check that gets sent to Israel you know, she's not going to be criticizing that and taking an American for a stance on it. I can't you know, imagine. when she's pushed on it, she's going to be saying like, no, we shouldn't be giving, I'm America first. We shouldn't be giving, uh, we shouldn't be giving money to foreign, you know, foreign countries. But like when it actually comes to it, she's probably in very much in support. Yeah, she's of it. like, no, Mike right. Johnson, stop giving them money. Don't, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I don't know. We also had uh, a much, you know, not that Dave Smith did a bad job on a debate, but Laura really kind of made that debate just not that interesting because yeah. her side was felt yeah. like a rehash of, you know, talking points from the new conservatives in 2005. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Dave did exceptionally well, but it's just like, it's unfortunate Laura was the just debate. Not the task. Yeah, it was to, not. To debate. Because what you want on a debate is like for the other two sides to mix it up about the topics at hand while she just kept on 
introducing new topics that she wanted to discuss and when it was her turn yeah, to address what avoiding Dave was every single time dave was like pinning her down well dave was definitely talking about her talking points as he went so yeah. that that was kind of like there was just a mismatch in there what we do have is that they're uh, just this morning um we have uh, scott horton and will chamberlain debating on the tim cast uh which i definitely recommend i haven't got all the way through it yet um we just started recording when it was wrapping up uh but it definitely something to check out if you want some more sophisticated uh kind of engagement on the issue scott is the world-class uh argument uh for non-intervention peaceful foreign policy uh and uh will chamberlain's got a lot of respect from the right and uh i, I think he's got a lot of great takes on a lot of issues former um desantis staffer amongst other things is just respected in the in the uh foreign policy a much circles. more honest actor too yeah. like i think he's much more um honorable <laughs> i think in his debates <laughs> yeah um, but uh yeah and then uh liam had a question come up in the dave smith debate that we'll have him on next week he could talk about all that kind of stuff um jordan peterson was on bill maher also engaged on israel palestine i think it definitely kind of teases out that in the right they've had a lot of people who are heterodox like jordan peterson who suddenly went to a different direction now we tried to find a clip of this but we can't find any clips that we can use on the internet uh but basically jordan peterson's argument was I made the case that the Democrats, if the Democrats had followed through on the uh, on the Abrahamic Accords, Trump's Middle Eastern foreign policy accomplishment, and got Saudi Arabia on board, that the attacks on the seventh wouldn't have happened. Um, this is, and I, and I know the reason why I want to talk about this because Bill Maher is really influential. Jordan Peterson's really influential, and I like Jordan Peterson, and I even like Bill Maher a little bit. He's funny. Yeah. yeah. But this is completely false. Like this is called like out of nowhere. I don't. I'm not sure of any foreign policy expert who would take this point of view. Um, that isn't part of the Trump administration, right? Or like a Trump like partisan. And the reason why is because it's pretty clear to anyone looking at it that the movement of the um, recognition of the state of Israel from Tel Aviv, a historic Jewish settlement to Jerusalem, which has long been seen as obviously a sensitive issue where you have these two religions who are connected this way, three religions really connected to Jerusalem in this way. That's very sensitive to move their recognition of their capital to there, which was part of the Abrahamic accords. Uh, additionally, that the peeling away of certain countries to no longer care about the Palestinians definitely created the platform on which Hamas can say, look, they're going to kill us. They're going to eliminate us. They're going to get rid of us. True or false, regardless of the intentions of Israel at the time, it set up the dynamic that gave them the best talking points they could to get the support that they needed and probably push them to like do this now and not later. It, it, mm. it very much like stripped away what little leverage they had on the international stage. Right. The Palestinians. Right. Um, and, and that and that as part of it as, as a motivating factor. So I just don't see how you could say if they if the Democrats hadn't been so anti-Trump that this wouldn't have happened. You might be able to say other things about this, that the Abrahamic Accords were good or that it led to more peace in the Middle East. I'm open to that. But the fact was, was that by delegitimizing the Palestinian issue and very specifically buying off countries who said they were concerned about that to no longer be concerned about that, put more pressure on the Palestinians to do something to re-elevate this. Mm. And, and we've been saying the whole time that doesn't legitimate Hamas. What it says is that's their strategy and we shouldn't give in to their strategy. If you know the team is going to set a pick on your point guard, you don't go running your point guard right up the middle of the court so he can get picked, mm -hmm. right? The whole idea of strategy is if you know the opposition's goals, you try to fight against those goals by inoculating them. And so what we did is we actually created, rather than insisting on a Palestinian solution before we did the Abrahamic Accords amongst Israel to take them off the table, 
We've instead said, well, Israel's right about everything. We can't question anything that they're treating with the Palestinians forever. And therefore, there's no debate to be had here. Right. And we just kind of we're just going to try to create peace by a whole different securitist way uh, that goes around the Palestinian problem. And and it it created the motivation here. Yeah. Hmm. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes electric peak yerba mate, postbiotic sodas, keto friendly, ready to drink margaritas and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. And then uh, lastly, uh, this week, TikTok had this whole allowing... TikTok was allowing, not allowing, not censoring fast enough, uh, Bin Laden's letter to America. Now, Kyle, I've read it. You've read it. Joe, have you read Bin Laden's letter to America? I'm not sure that I have. How I, I, I could you it. not? I read it years and years ago, though. I haven't yeah. read it in this recent Well, you can't find it now. The Guardian took it off their website. Really? It was on their website yeah. for Is that the only place you could find it? You can find it lots of places back in the day. But I don't know if you can find it now. If you search for it on TikTok or on Google, it... Not anymore. I'm looking for it now. That's my mission. <laughs> well, and basically what Bin Laden's letter was, was a list of grievances explaining why the attack on 9-11. And a lot of it comes down to, I mean, if you were to boil it all down, it's basically America has its culture. Um, the Arab world has its culture and the Western empire is trying to impose their will on the on the Arab culture. Like that's really what it comes down to if it boils down. And there's a good, there's going to be a bunch of things in there that, you know, the general Westerner is not going to agree with on, um, on like with bin Laden. Cause he's, he's saying like, you know, there's degeneracy that's spreading throughout the West, you know, homos- like homosexual marriages, you know, blah, 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 all that, all, all that stuff. Right. Um, but I mean, the real crux of the argument is, you have been bombing us. You have been sanctioning us. There's been millions of people that have been dying. And it's like, you are this massive power that is imposing your will and trying to get us to conform to your will. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that is why, and then it's used as a recruitment tool to get, you know, young men involved in, into this fight and to be willing to suicide bomb places. Right. In yeah. the name of Islam. And this letter came out, I, I found it on Newsweek, by the way. Um, I'll throw the link in the show notes. Um, November 24th, 2002. So, just over a year after the attacks on 9-11. So it's been available for a long time. Yeah, and there's other documents you can find of his recruiting beforehand, right? And there's some great biographies written about Osama bin Laden where you can kind of see how the arc of his life led to this moment. Uh, very specifically, his his relationship with the in the Mujahideen, being funded by the CIA to fight the US, uh, the USSR in Afghanistan, and how that informed his strategy in conducting 9-11 mm. to provoke us into a response where we can overextend our empire. And then uh, additionally to that, you know, we also went to war in Iraq and Syria and Libya and a bunch of other places because he understood that the incentives of empire was to overextend. And that's it was the difficult part of empire was the Roman Empire, the USSR, the British Empire was to restrain that or restrain that and keep that back when you're the richest, most powerful thing. You think you can control the world. That hubris is the way you tempt someone into overextension, mm. which is worth mentioning as the CIA trained bin Laden to do that to the Soviets in Afghanistan right. during the Cold War. Right. 
right. hoisted by their own petard yeah, to, to set say. up all these things for little proxy wars and get them to overextend until they inevitably collapse because you know it was a war zone between the u.s and and the soviets during the cold war so the case has long been from the libertarians in this and in talking about osama bin Laden letter is terrorism is the price you pay for being an empire so don't be an empire sure right with the lefty like tiktok people were saying just like this is a document and this is kind of the split on the left, right? Is that the, the leftists on TikTok were saying, this is a document of a colonial victim talking about their oppressors of America, which is not at all the way I see it, right? I see it as Bin Laden was a terrible human being who, you know, should have been punished for what he did on 9-11 because nothing legitimates attacking, you know, innocent civilians because I'm an individualist, not a collectivist. Yeah. Um, but that said, the way we did it fed into his strategy. And what mm-hmm. we need to do is learn from his strategy and how it plays to Israel Hamas is that, is the accusation that Israel is feeding into the very strategy that Hamas wanted to do. Because if you kill 20,000 people, what does that do to all of their relatives? Right. If everyone has a brother or two, that means you've created the terrorist math problem, which is 40,000 new people who have a personal reason to hate Israel. Not a collective reason, not an abstract reason, not a reason that you heard in school growing up where they said, hey, these guys are bad guys, but rather they killed your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your uncle. Yeah. your grandparents whatever right i mean ron paul had a, had a great moment on this right like they don't hate us because we're free they hate us because we're over there attacking well, and them. that's and this is the great part of that that letter right is is that you can you can read it and you can see the part where you can get the argument that they hate us because we're free but that's because you're focused on their motivation as a religious artifact because then you can make them an enemy forever mm-hmm. then they can never be right unless they convert to some other religion but if you make it a political issue then you can go to the table with them and you can actually talk to them so it's the goal of one side of american politics to make sure it's laurel loomer's vision of, of 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 islam where there is no way for them to be good muslims and not to be an enemy of america that's a goal of some people and we have to call that out that that's evil and wrong and bigotry mm-hmm. and that's what drives me crazy is an inability to distinguish between those two things do we want to uh, do you want to show ron paul i mean, I mean everybody wants to see yeah, a little okay. bit of ron paul <laughs> come on i'm sorry yeah. i talked over our ron paul thing but yeah let's let's see the the best the greatest say it first intervention was a major contributing factor have you ever read about the reasons they attacked us they they attack us because we've been over there we've been bombing iraq for 10 years we've been in the middle east i think reagan was right we don't understand the irrationality of middle eastern politics so right now we're building an embassy in iraq that's bigger than the vatican we're building 14 permanent bases what would we say here if china was doing this in our country or in the gulf of mexico we would be objecting. We need to look at what we do from the perspective of what would happen if somebody else did it to us. Are you suggesting we invited the 9-11 attacks, sir? I'm, I'm suggesting that we listen to the people who attacked us and the reason they did it. And they are delighted that we're over there because Osama bin Laden has said, I am glad you're over on our sand because we can target you so much easier. They've already now, since that time, have killed 3,400 of our men, and I don't think it was necessary. Wendell, may I make a comment on that? That's really an extraordinary statement. Extraordinary. Do you want to bring extraordinary in statement. If someone yeah, listened well. to the attack of September 11. That we invited the attack because we were attacking Iraq. I don't think I've ever heard that before, and I've heard some pretty absurd explanations for September 11. This is just a trip down memory lane. You gotta get back to Ron's here. This is where they done screwed up. I would ask the congressman to withdraw that comment and tell us that he didn't really mean that. 
Congressman? I believe very sincerely that the, that the CIA is correct when they teach and, and talk about blowback. When we went into uh, Iran in 1953 and installed the Shah, yes, there was blowback. Uh, the reaction to that was the taking of our hostages, and that persists. And if we ignore that, we ignore that at our own risk. That if we think that we can do what we want around the world and not incite hatred, then we then we have a problem. They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. I mean, what would we think if we were? classic um you know it, it actually kind of reminds it kind of reminds me too of um similar to what we just saw with vivek in the most recent debate where you end up having because after that it was it was one of those phenomenon where the media all said that ron paul was the big loser of the debate and that he was you know rudy giuliani clearly smoked him right but then the internet polling on everything was all like ron paul just dominated this and it was like one of the most impactful moments that like changed a lot of people's minds like it's it's always the ron paul giuliani moment is what converted me you know like Mm -hmm. you always hear that from people yeah so it's just it's it's interesting of like you know same tactics same media ploys same all that and it was like Ron Paul was the internet candidate. Rudy Giuliani smoked the internet candidate, but not really. Right. Yeah. No, no, it's the classic. It's like the invisible empire is the problem. It's the Mm -hmm. dragon that you're not paying attention to is the one that bites you. Right. It's the thing that you're willing to ignore. Right. So Americans are willing to ignore uh, 30 years in this case of our case right now of Middle Eastern foreign policy that has driven things in a terrible direction. Right. Uh, And, and then when something happens, they're like, how could this possibly have happened? Uh, And the same thing with, you know, our vision, it's like that status quo bias thing that we talked about where we don't see the everyday interactions between Palestine and the uh, IDF. And then when an attack happens, we go like, how could this possibly happen? Israel is just minding their own business and all of a sudden they attacked out of nowhere. It, 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 it's a, the time slice bias thing is the, is the problem. And I think you're right. Um, I'm not saying that Vivek is the Ron Paul of this moment completely because like he isn't quite the, he isn't the same kind of leader. But man, is it a similar dynamic? Yeah, because the, the, the media versus the internet candidate is a very similar dynamic. And I mean, yeah. you could even put RFK as like in a similar uh, archetype. Well, right? in, in, uh, in uh, Nikki Haley is Rudy Giuliani, right? You got mm-hmm. the former governor who is now like totally sold out to the military industrial complex. He's just trying, trying to, to get the next money. contract. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so like to, to be the articulator of the neoconservative movement. And that's where we're at right now. And that's why, I mean, it's and it's and it started in foreign policy. It started out with Vivek going on stage and saying, I'm the only not neoconservative on this stage. And now it's spilled into things like uh, Nikki Haley, for example, um, says that Vivek hates women, right? Uh, and that he's got a, quote, woman problem Just like uh, Joe. on a recent podcast. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've been hearing. Trina's going to come on and, uh, and and criticize our outfits in the next podcast. Good. By the way. I'm just Joe, saying we, we need to have her on. I dare you. I don't know if you guys caught <laughs> I it. I dare you. Joe bring it. did criticize Candace Owens jacket during that clip. We're gonna cut <laughs> that out. Did you seriously? <laughs> Joe the fashionista. It's, well, it's, it's my lot in life. She's now. got washed to. out on this background too. Come on guys. <sighs> See I mean look Joe you said you're not an expert in anything but the guy who wears the same shirt every day is like expert on fashion. <laughs> expert on fashion. Best fashion. <laughs> you don't have to have cancer in order to be a cancer doctor, right? Says Joe. 
<laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. All right. So anyways, <laughs> so here's Nikki Haley on the Ruthless podcast. What happens? He comes out of the gate. He hits the female chair of the party. He hits the female anchor on the platform. And then he hits me. And I'm not saying anything. I ain't saying I'm just saying. But he might have a girl problem. Yeah. I'm just saying he might have a girl problem. What the heck is the Ruthless Podcast, by uh, the way? You know, like Comfortably Smug, the Twitter no, account? No, I don't know anything about him. You're in politics and you don't know Comfortably Smug? No. He's like, he, Comfortably Smug was always kind of like, you know, for like political, you know, like people. He was kind of like the, the, the anonymous account of like the Washington insider huh. kind of guy. And now there's like the ruthless podcast is like about him and his friends basically. Huh? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just loving this, uh, this next response here from Lauren Chen. It's like, she's campaigning as the worst parts of George Bush and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's an interesting point. Well, it's, it's like, it's a uh, Dick, how... Dick Cheney and three inch heels, right? Well, they're no, five, five inch, inch heels and, and their ammo, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> Have we gotten to the bottom of that? No, she likes to drop them on Brown people. That's, 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 <laughs> that's what we know. She, she likes to throw her shoes at them. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering how, I mean, cause this is obviously, you know, like sort of a, a feminist angle to take. Uh, an attack vector at Vivek. How is that going to play with the Republican base? Um, Nikki Haley is not running for president. She's running from, for her next military contract. <laughs> like that's, that's all this is, right? Like, like the reason why people like um, Christy and Haley and them are even on stage is to, is to like lay out like, hey, I'm willing to play ball give me money and I'll be your represent your spokesman, your representative. Like that's, that's all it is. Like they have no hopes of actually winning. Think about it like an interest group politics version of Ron Paul being in there for the Liberty crowd. Right? So he's in there to represent libertarian ideas, not to win president. Right. Does that make sense? Like yeah. that's why the libertarians put things up for office in the first place is to advance on that platform, their vision for politics. If you're Boeing, you have the same incentive structure to do the same and you pick Nikki Haley maybe as your person to do that. I think, uh, that old meme of like politicians should be like NASCAR drivers and wear their brands on there. <laughs> I think that would be a great fashion choice it would for be. Nikki. Yeah, it, it would be <laughs> an improvement perhaps. This week, both that, <laughs> both that thing, she just has like a, a F 35 <laughs> costume. She's like a head inside of an airplane. She's, <laughs> She's literally like dressed up like on Halloween, like, like an airplane. <laughs> I took 30 years to manufacture and I cost trillions of dollars and I have, to, I'm never, I'm only, I, what was it that the Raptor, it was only usable like 20% of the time because it's always down with maintenance issues. Like this is the best example. It doesn't work well if it's raining. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Resisting, resisting. It will just eject a pilot and just fly for 20 miles though. So yeah, there's also that uh, problem. There's a lot of callbacks on, on that. Right <laughs> so the same week that this, that the, that she accused him of being a sexist, which she, which he called out on Twitter and blew up in her face terribly. Like to be clear, her, her reaction there, like to, to try, try to pull the woman card didn't go well at all. Mm. Right. Um, in my opinion, I just don't think it won her any clout. I don't think a lot of people would be like, you're right. He is a sexist. I just don't think that happened. I, I, I think she tried to make it seem like she was joking and she didn't mean it while she said she meant it like this really Southern, like nice sign of way, but it, it kind of crossed everyone else. I think to be kind of like a cheap shot. Yeah. Like she is actually trying to insinuate that while coming across like she's joking. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and so then uh, actually before that, this came out with her, which was also part of the dynamic of, uh, of her rolling out her 
you know, social media vision. Yeah, she she, she kind of got the one-two punch this week of getting hit by the internet from like two different clips. So yeah, here's her next, uh, her laying out her vision for social media. When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden, people have to stand by what they say, and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say. Accountability. And they know their pastor and their family member is going to see it. It's going to help our kids, and it's going to help our country. Um, I, I think she just saw one mean tweet from baby Hitler 69 and, and she just is like, got to verify them all. Got to verify them all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Talk, talk about Patriot Act 2.0. Like that would be just the death of the internet, right? The worst thing that I could possibly imagine for the internet would be individual. Ver- I mean, that's digital ID stuff. That's just so slippery slope into social credit score and all the, the globalist stuff. Right. Well, 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 and that's the thing is because it's a national security problem, right? So, like, we have to get the government involved and get basically assemble a database of everybody that exists on Twitter, TikTok, whatever. And whether you're using your real name or not, we have a database of exactly who you are. And so we can look at it and be like, oh, this person said this. Well, look up who's that name. Oh, that's Joe, you know, <laughs> like on his anonymous Joe account. doesn't get a bank anymore. Yeah. To be clear, though, I mean, like, this sort of already exists, whether you're a pseudonym or not, like your IP address and your devices. I mean, the NSA is already tracking all your IP, right? Yeah. This is (laughs) only so that they can have the, what is she looking for? The social responsibility to, uh, for what you say when it completely ignores that the American tradition for a very long time, especially about politics is to respect and honor anonymous speech because it's the argument that matters. And that's, and that is, that places an underlying faith in the idea that people are engaged and will engage in good faith and bad faith arguments and that when they do so that people can be trusted to distinguish between the two and see the good faith arguments see the evidence and it doesn't matter who said it in fact thomas Paine published under a pseudonym so did benjamin franklin so did thomas jefferson so did uh what was the 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 brewer um smith um adam no, not Adam Samuel Smith. Adams? Samuel Adams. Sam yeah. Adams. Adam Smith. Yeah. No, he published on his own thing. Yeah. He's in Britain. Uh, but when you're criticizing the government, the last thing you want to do is like the government know that who's doing it, right? So yeah, you can get an Onion router in a, in a Twitter account and you know get yourself actually anonymous on the internet if you work hard enough at it. I don't know what an Onion router is, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> well, and it is kind of there is an irony that exists here because Nikki Haley's name is actually a pseudonym. Like her name is not actually Nikki Haley. Really? Her her, her original name was Nimarada Randawa because she's she's Indian. What? She, she's originally Hindu. Which it's, and it's kind of interesting You're that joking. there's this. No, 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 no. Haley's like Haley's her married name, but like her original name is Nimarada Randawa. Like she's she's she grew up Hindu. She's Indian. She she looks very white, unlike Vivek. Like, and it's just interesting that there is like two Indians going at it right here. And wow, and she's she's. She went before she got into politics, she converted to Christianity and she started going by Nikki Haley and all this stuff, right? Fascinating. Yeah. One more time on the name. Nimarada Randawa. Nimarada. She Nikki may or may not be her middle name. Wow. Uh, it could just be like it's it was probably a nickname or something. I'm That's not sure. I had no idea. Yeah. Interesting. Because like she's originally Hindu, so regardless of where she's from, uh I think this is a terrible idea. 
and I would not support it at all. And she's a hypocrite, and it's un-American. Yes. Well, and, and it's interesting because, like, I don't think that polls well. Just taking well, I mean, a blanket, especially I imagine, I imagine the donor class loves it. Yeah, the donor oh, sure. class loves it. Yeah. But but to David's point, you know, of discerning good ideas from bad ideas, I think the internet pretty quickly discerned that that's a terrible idea, obviously. Yeah. And didn't she walk back these statements? She's oh yeah, yeah. Trying to, she, she was just like, well, I just I just wanted to make sure that you know that we keep the forum bots out. Like that was her point all along. That had nothing to do with, even though that obviously wasn't right. Uh, forum bots as a problem once again runs into exactly the same problem which is you aren't smart enough to know the difference between a russian bot or a chinese bot you don't know you're too you're too dumb yeah i'm looking at i'm looking at comments to human reaction on tiktok and i see like someone with a name and and followers and i see someone's like user four three seven six (laughs) two x and they have zero followers and they're commenting like the most broken english or or terrible unnuanced take or just like directly attacking one of you or me yeah. it's like hmm i wonder who's who here right pretty easy right yeah but i mean it will get more sophisticated and there i think there are probably concerns especially for parents right of keeping their kids safe on the internet so i understand where the argument comes from but sure. i think the prescription is just well and especially for, uh, so for kids you get into a whole different realm of of reality when it comes to americans relationship with the first amendment right kids don't have rights the same way that adults do that's a fact and it's always been the fact that's what it is in the english common law for thousands of years mm-hmm. people on the internet kids don't have the same rights that adults do so you can make a case and like like vivek it actually agrees with Haley on this case in that in that case if you're going to ban children from getting access to social media right? If you're going to make that case, that's a very different question than let's dox the entire world, right? Mm -hmm. One is a national security nightmare. The other one is like a, how should we deal with children, right? Because the real important thing about the doxing question isn't just about whether or not I can get on and anonymously share my cooking recipes. Obviously, it's about whether or not I can criticize elites. That's the question, right? Without consequence or leak information to the public. Those um, are the questions. That's 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 the thing that day. I no one wants to see my my brisket recipe is pretty good. I'm just saying that. I got a very good brisket recipe. I would check out your brisket recipe, but everything else is suspect. I mean, I've never. No, I don't know. I'm colorblind and deaf. I got great taste buds. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. Uh, c- continuing down the train of this uh, this conflict between uh, Vivek and uh, Nikki Haley, we have uh, Chris Cuomo has returned into the spotlight here, um, confronting him about being such a terrible person for going after Nikki um, and how it doesn't play well, kind of. And remember Chris Cuomo, you know, brother of Andrew Cuomo and was, uh, you know, the CNN guy covering for his brother during his time as the mayor of New York. And he ended up getting fired from CNN for this uh, collusion between him and his brother. And now he's over at a uh, news nation who I am unconvinced news nation. Well, I, yeah. I am this? kind of convinced it's an astroturfing uh, plot. Uh, they were the ones that actually covered most of the alien stories. 
Oh, back, right. uh, back, yeah. like they just kind of popped out of nowhere. But Chris Cuomo has now resurfaced and has a gig over there. Hmm. Um, just, I, a, just a CIA front. I have my personal concerns about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he's like front and center of their Twitter page too. Like it's like. Yeah. Cuomo and then like other people. Wow. Yeah, it's it's definitely there's some astroturfing that is existing with News Nation. I feel like when you but say that knows? to people who don't understand what you might mean by that, what do you mean by that? There's a uh, whoa. whoa, whoa, dude. That is. We just had a speaker almost wild. go over, but it somehow suspended in midair. Oh, it like got hooked underneath there. I think I have magic powers. Did well, you see yeah, that? I saw that. It was like the force. Did like you he that? suddenly summoned it. It was like, whoa! <laughs> that was sick. Man, I wish we could have just gotten that on camera. Yeah. Like, Joe just like force pulled this, <laughs> force pushed this thing back into replacement. Yeah. He's got midichlorians, man. This guy over here. You wouldn't guess he's a Jedi because he's ginger, but he's just got he's got the ESP. He's just like controlling it with his mind. I masquerade as the everyman on this podcast, but in my <laughs> off time, I, I moonlight as a Jedi. Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm going through my training right now. Uh, anyway, um, News Nation's uh, a very strange website. You should look at it. It's like wow astroturf can you explain it uh astroturfing is basically just like a bunch of outsider money coming in and funding things for uh for the purposes of getting kind of ideas out so like in politics there's a lot of organizations of like a lot of this is where like dark money and things like that kind of come in but uh you, you basically have just like money coming in and funding uh kind of like funding grassroots efforts through like illegitimate non-grassroot means mm. kind of mm-hmm it's kind of like a slang term for it among political sure that, uh, that therein lies the astroturf uh, correlation yeah. of it's not real grassroots it's fake grassroots. Yeah. Nice. yeah exactly it's like fake grassroots type type of stuff so like i have my uh i have my conspiratorial mind goes off with news nation from some of the stuff i've seen and how they've also been kind of the ones at the forefront that have started a lot of major stories in the last year um particularly one of the major ones was aliens like a lot of the stuff, like all the leakers went to News Nation, like this like random like group out of Chicago that's like all of a sudden come up onto the stage kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, they still on their main very, website has like a whole section for sp- just a space. And then it's yeah. just like UFO stuff after that. I mean, okay, so this seems to substantiate huh. a little bit my concern that uh, I, I think there's the, some of that for sure. The alien conversation is sort of being uh, falsified or, you know, it's this like facade or something that's being pushed in a way that's not genuine yeah it was actually and somebody else that it was interesting months and months back when all the alien stuff was going on it was actually joe rogan and uh, mark andreessen when mark andreessen was on was talking about this really about like what is the deal with news nation like it feels weird mm. and it, like i agree i had the same kind of vibe about it um mm. but who knows I, I don't know chris cuomo he's on news nation he's like the face of it now so, but uh, he went on with uh, Vivek to criticize him over uh, his attacks on Nikki Haley. And like, why are you attacking him so much? So uh, here is that. Ramaswamy, why do you keep going at Nikki Haley? Why do you think this is going to bear fruit? Chris, I don't know what you've been smoking, man. You and the rest of the mainstream media, it's laughable. Nikki Haley's been going after me the whole campaign. First debate, second debate. You know, she's been trailing me for much of the time, but I realize the establishment media has realized that there's a puppet they want to put up. I'm not playing that game. The grassroots of this country know they want a leader who isn't going to send us our sons and daughters to go die in foreign wars that racked up $7 trillion in debt. Dick Cheney 2.0 yeah. taken over the GOP. Problem is the Democratic establishment media is now rooting for war, too. I'm the only candidate speaking for a true America first agenda on that debate stage, and I think we're going to be successful. Vivek, how are you going to bring people together 
when you just uh, put together a tapestry of conspiracies. You know that I'm not pitching anything about <laughs> Chris, what, what are you she talking about? Come I mean, on my it, show. There's no tapestry. She won't even come on there's my no show. There's no tapestry of conspiracies. I'm sure she doesn't. Hold on a second. I let you I let you put it out there. And now, you know, I get to finish smoking and uh, now I get to answer, which is, um, oh, this is what the media is doing is putting up Nikki Haley it's against me because the they know I'm the real they, deal. Please. She hasn't even been the, on my show. Picked, Chris, I'm just please. watching you get you know slapped what? I, around I call by that her. Kristen and Welker. I'm wondering what I, your strategy you know, is. The fact of the matter is, Chris. My strategy is calling out the mainstream media like I did to Kristen Welker at the start of that debate. I asked her about the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, told her to look the audience in the eye and apologize to them. Just like I'll tell you, you're part of the mainstream media despite pretending like you're not. Look the audience in the eye oh, and tell them how you the covered for your media. brother for all that happened. Well, we'll cut it there, but you kind of get the vibe well, as I'm it goes on. No, wait, you got to go a little bit further because oh, you, you missed to? to cover him for his brother just right here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is right. That is in here. Part Absolutely of the mainstream you media. And you, and you, hey, listen. And you play the listen, same games that the rest of the mainstream you media does. Take care of You're your doing family. it tonight. That's fine. You're, you've been, Vivek, you have been, you have been covering for your you brother. Think- you have been Playing a game, you were kicked off cover for CNN, so Of course I cover for my brother. That's exactly He's not even trying to say, you wouldn't cover for your brother? Where are your journalistic ethics? Like, that's the whole point of having this thing called journalism is to say we're going to tell the objective truth about a thing from the best of our ability, not to cover for our brother. That's why you got fired, bro. What do you... Has he learned nothing? How could these guys employ him? Unless they're a CIA alpha. You, but, you know, like, wait, what's going on here? You know, Andrew Cuomo has a podcast now. <laughs> it randomly popped up on my YouTube really? feed the That's other hilarious. day. What's it called? I don't remember. It's like Cuomo or lie something. Lie for your brother? No. Yeah, no. lie for your brother. <laughs> or have your brother lie for you. <laughs> um, well, remember... Um, Chris Cuomo, he was the guy that kind of famously, he had that viral clip that went out where when the WikiLeaks Hillary Clinton email stuff back in 2016 came out, he was on here and was like, remember, it's illegal to read these emails. You have to be like a verified journalist to read these emails, <laughs> and, which, which is not true. Like, it's just, it's, it's just not true at all. <laughs> but he, he went on CNN and said that. <laughs> it's like Fahrenheit 451 shit. Yeah, it's yeah. very much like you can't look at it we have to look at it. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's similar to what we were talking about with like these manifestos and stuff from the shooters. It's like, no, we have to be the ones to verify what's going on in here. You, the plebs, you can't look at these things, right? Let us give you the information. Well, and that's why Vivek is, is, is doing so well is one of the parts of his campaign that is clearly so much more mature than the others are saying you can, we can be trusted with the information. We are adults who can handle knowing what the shooters are saying, knowing what the real motivations are for Osama bin Laden. You don't have to censor it on TikTok. These sorts of anti-censorious things imply a fundamental trust, trust and belief in the American people's ability to navigate these, these issues. And that's what a democracy requires. You can't have a democracy when you have an elite group of people who can tell you what to think and what to feel. You have to have a democracy. It require, in order to have a democracy, you have to have information available for people to make up their own minds. And a freedom of speech in order to navigate the issues and to articulate them out loud. Go off. Just crazy. It's Go crazy off, to me David. that this is even where we're at, that it is a controversial that Haley, that, 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 that Haley is in the situation where she is so clearly being censorious and Vivek is considered at odds with her or attacking her by saying, no, that's crazy. I love it. I just love yeah. it when you get fired up. Oh, God, I could crazy. just listen to it for days. Yeah, it's crazy. But like th- there is a clear divide. Um, and it's just interesting how much like the two clearly hate each other. And a lot of it, I think, is like Nikki's just like, dude, 
we have a thing going. Stop like calling us all out on our bullshit. Like, I think there's like a little bit of an element of that. <laughs> and then Vivek just being like, no, I just think you're like blatantly corrupt. Like you are actually corrupt. And it's been interesting to watch that dynamic kind of play out. And also just like the generational divide here that exists. You end up having kind of, it's very much like old school campaigning versus like new school campaigning. And that's kind of like the internet candidates versus the establishment candidates. Yeah. Um, and, you know, RFK kind of has that too because he, he's censored by everybody as well. And he has to do the, uh, the thing. But like, like Vivek is going a lot of new routes uh, for kind of getting his message out there. Side note, what is the deal with RFK going on a plane without wearing shoes? That's like the most inhumane thing to do. What's the inhumane? deal with that? Oh, uh, <laughs> dude, have you ever been on a plane with somebody who's not wearing shoes? No, I don't really see. You see it inhumane? Like, uh, yeah. Dude, how could you do that to other people? It's just a weird way to describe it. It's, it's just like it's just gross. A, it's I can anti, see. No, it's inhuman. It's anti-human. Oh, dude. Why would you ever <laughs> expose your feet to other humans in a metal tube with limited oxygen? I guess I just never thought that. That's that unfair. Oh, okay. It's unfair. It's, what, it's what Joe's he lost my vote. What right Joe's there. referencing is this right here. <laughs> <laughs> no shirt, no shoes, no secret service, candidate 24 for the audio listeners. It's an hilarious meme, but it's posted by his, his, his account. account. I love yeah. it. He's embracing he's it. He's wearing a business suit too. He's like, he's got the suit on with no socks and, and no shoes. <laughs> well, have you ever seen Die Hard? No. What? <laughs> From the upper deck. What do you deck. hate Christmas? <laughs> the What's best, wrong with the you? The best Christmas movie ever made. It's the like, best Christmas movie ever made. Yeah, I'm, by I'm, far. <laughs> yes, for sure. I will. I will give you that. Having not even seen it, I've heard that said before. I don't know. I'm not a cinephile, man. I have I have better things to do with my time than watch movies. Ouch. Well, apparently, Sorry, it's guys. judge people who go barefoot, especially well, for somebody who wears sandals look, all summer long. As you and rocking sandals all the time. As a recovered hippie, uh, <laughs> I I respect what he's doing. What he's trying to do. He's appealing to that. That's certain, like the Bernie base, right? He's pulling that. That's a. You think it's a campaign appeal? I think <laughs> I, uh, absolutely, dude. <laughs> dude, look him doing shirtless push-ups. That's, that's, where, the, that's where the bros, man. He's that's going for, for that that boho chic look, man. Boho chic. Yeah, that's a that's a fashion term. You might not know. I don't it. know. I don't know. Define <laughs> it for me, please. Oh, I can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, this is this is always the problem with aesthetic philosophy. Wait, 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 wait. Former hippie? What does that mean? Uh, no, I said re- reformed, re- recovered, recovered. What yeah. does that mean? That you were I, a hippie. I cut my hair. I cut my hair <laughs> I've and never I quit. Seen you with long hair. What, what is it? Oh well, good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had long hair once too. Did, a long time ago. You had hair, yeah, like down to here. I wasn't born bald, believe it or not. <laughs> you yeah. actually, you probably were. I actually had red hair. What? Yeah. No. Right, straight yeah. out the womb, you had hair. Yep. Nice. Long hair down here. Yeah, no. <laughs> but by uh, by high school, yeah, long hair. No way. Yeah, you Curly, were a, blonde. You're red, a ginger. Ringlets. Not really. No. I mean, I have red beard too. Like yeah. Red, red beard, a little bit. Not like you though. You're, it's not like not not like real red. <laughs> Jojo's like, oh, it's like baby red. red. <laughs> Even I'm not, not real red. Look, there are there are true gingers, and then there's there's me. Right, I ride in the middle. Okay. Like, I can be in the sun. I can get a tan slowly. Yeah. Slowly <laughs> does happen though. The height of summer, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, more more uh, more just like fun campaign stuff of like these internet candidates essentially I, I found this to be kind of a, a funny video this is like a 30 second version there was a longer version but uh vivek just right after the debates the next day kind of what he what he was off doing that's presidential candidate vivek ramaswamy today he's 
So after the debate, we picked him up from this super yacht in Miami, and now it's time to get him standing up on a surfboard. So first, I taught him some of the basics, and then it was time for his first attempt. And after just a couple of attempts, he was already able to stand. You're up, you want it to shift like this, holding a rope. Let's yeah. do that, let's master that first. Yeah. For someone who's never surfed before, it was crazy how fast he was able to learn. So now that he's comfortable, we decided to step things up a notch by getting our business suits on and surfing in his natural habitat. And if this goes viral, we'll do something even crazier to warm up for his next day. That's good marketing, man, yeah. I think. I think it, that guy's got 5 million YouTube subscribers. I, I think that's just a genius strategy. I mean, talk about internet candidate. Like that's that's it right there. Yeah. Let's well, see. And, and there's the critique of like, why are you on TikTok from the debates, right? Well, it's like this, right? Yeah, that's why you, he's you end reaching up these the massive youth. influencers, and you're getting, especially when you know the, the media is not going to be giving you a fair shot. Well, like these guys are interested in getting clicks, and you're kind of an, an interesting guy, interesting name, right? And there's just kind of like he's he's inspiring a lot of these young people that have never really been involved in politics, and they're just like, let's hang out with this guy, and like let's just see what happens, and then this type of content's being made. It's a, it's a very unique strategy. Same thing with like. You know, he started a podcast, right? Vivek did. Yeah. yeah. Vivek has a podcast and, you know, it's, it's a way of going around the media and being able to have long form conversations to really explain your positions on things and then also have interesting people on like new campaigning it's it's a new era we live in this this digital age it's it's, it's very it's very trumpian honestly i mean mm -hmm. like you look at trump with like his media expertise and the apprentice and all that stuff and like mm -hmm. his brand like vivek is kind of cultivating that same thing through doing stuff like this i would and love to see nikki haley get on a surfboard too that'd be hilarious <laughs> i'd love to see joe biden get on a surfboard oh, <laughs> that would not be hilarious that would be that would be manslaughter yeah <laughs> uh the future of campaigning is likely in making your own content yeah. rather than allowing other people to make content for you. The advantage of that is it is it is it shortens the it it shortens the places that your your message can be diluted before your end goal audience. So you kind of cut out the middleman and you can you know communicate directly to voters. It gives you an advantage to be able to articulate nuance, and I think it's a wonderful thing. The only difference is it's like are voters willing to put in the work to like discover what the candidates you know points are by going to their product rather than having a distillation you know medium to distill it down for them and dumb it down and interpret it for them uh and that's that's the more difficult thing like i haven't seen Haley on a podcast at all well until the ruthless podcast yeah yeah right and, <laughs> well, and probably for good reason right one can talk and one the other one can't well, do you think she's noticing like, hey, crap, this is working for Vivek. I need to get in on this strategy and I need to try to employ some of these same tools? Uh, I don't know about that. I, I think it depends on what I think the current impression that works best for her campaign is to stay away from those sorts of things because she makes these mistakes. Mm. Right. And that she's more likely to stick with like a mainstream media when she's and, off the cuff and, yeah. and unscripted and not tightly, you know, aligned to her talking points. She she, she runs the risk of pulling a Biden and calling she a I think that's likely. And additionally, Candace Owens called her out this week about that. Uh, very specifically said that she was trying to get her in for an event and she had to, her press person required her to send her the questions beforehand, for mm. example. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is before she was ever running for president. too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, surprise. And that's very weak sauce, like in the, the media world. Well, yeah. and something to your point of like, you know, you, you made the pondering if, you know, are people going to be willing to do the work to do the long form content? I actually think 
the long form content is much more for like the super fans where then what you end up creating is all these like um, quasi surrogates that are essentially spreading the message afterward because people are like reacting to clips of you and it's similar to us like he makes a lot of interesting content that's very useful for us at human reaction to react to right, right. Um, we also generally have positive views of him of course but like you end up having like this decentralized almost like surrogate program that ends up happening because you have all these people that are like interested in the content and it's actually entertaining content that you're providing right um which you know donor dollars at work right here like it's not like these massive donor dollar spends on ads that are happening you have people doing it of their own volition to be able mm-hmm. to drive their own content and their own influence. All right. Oh, right. I, this week I, on the Discord, I, I posted a video of somebody who took a bunch of the Star Wars stuff and put Vivek's face in there. And they put it on their on their Twitter page and it got uh, you know a couple thousand views and a couple, uh, a couple hundred likes. And I saw it, I was like, huh, it reminds me of the Ron Paul days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When there was a ton of organic people just making videos and stuffing Ron Paul quotes into them and be like, Ron Paul 2020, you know, like, or 2012 or 20. Ron Paul really yeah. was like the original internet candidate. It's yeah. just like the internet infrastructure wasn't quite, and also the audience wasn't quite there like it is now. Right. Like now we're seeing it where, you know, like, a, a, and frankly, a lot of the problems with these establishment candidates, they can't stand up to the scrutiny of the internet anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a lot of people like Vivek and like RFK, they kind of, they have people around them that are clearly in the hive mind mm-hmm. and they, they know exactly. And they're reacting quickly. Like something happens, Vivek's on it within like 30 minutes, mm-hmm. just like quick, boom, boom, boom. Yep. Uh, well, well, everybody else like, well, they have to wait for their comms person and they have to wait two days to talk about it. And you know, it's, it's, everything's very well, slow. They're just a part of a different hive mind mm-hmm. that just operates operates in a, in a different with different strategy and tactics it's not instantaneous it's very carefully scripted because like you said they can't stand up to that scrutiny they have to be careful and, right. and the and the subscribers to that hive mind are dying off right because like a lot of this is a generational thing right yeah um you know as the older generations go off the more tech savvy generations come up and in a lot of ways what vivek's doing right now like you know like i all of us are very vivek's not winning the presidency unless something drastic happens to trump like he actually goes to jail or something but like a lot of this is a future play vivek's going to be around for a while mm-hmm. and there is this long-term aspect of like vivek is 37 38 right now he's, like, he's gonna be he's gonna be around for many decades and this is clear like this is like an early investment into his stardom of the future right oh yeah the beginning of a brand like like he very like i wouldn't be surprised he runs for president again but he has like way more support because he's been well known and he's a figure and he's developed this like cult like audience around him kind of a thing right yeah i wouldn't be surprised well i mean a lot of people have said and i think it's very true that if he does get picked as a vp candidate like that that is a surefire way to become president in the next election right because trump will have termed out after two if if he does get elected right and then vivek is just the obvious you know the obvious pick yeah i don't see vivek taking the vp role like maybe if he was offered it and i i don't know if i I feel like there's a butting of heads that would exist there like they're two very like ceo brained personalities i don't think that they would be a i could see vivek being pulled on as like a czar of destroying the administrative state or something (laughs) you know yeah like that i I, and i don't know Um, even know if that would necessarily feed the best parts of a vague's brand. I think he'd be that. better off as an outsider during yes. the presidency. Yes. Right? And building his podcast, building his mm. write more books, keep, keep building that component of that and then run again. It's the same thing. Like I keep seeing people like there's, there's all this internet commotion about like, Oh, Trump might tap Tucker Carlson for VP. It's just like, 
Tucker Carlson has way more power and influence doing what he's doing, especially yeah. like he's building a media company um, on the back end right now while the show's going. And he's, and my understanding is he's going to be planning on bringing much more, like more people into the framework here. Like that's a way more powerful position, especially with Tucker's, you know, competencies mm-hmm. uh, than being vice president. Like but additionally, that's the, not many vice presidents actually become president in the modern era. Yeah. Like uh, other than George Bush senior, Fair point. Al Gore didn't. Yeah. LBJ. Biden. Well, <laughs> different thing, situation there. <laughs> yeah. Bi- Biden pulled it off. Biden pulled it off. But that, I think that's a unique set of circumstances. What circumstances are those, David? Well, Trump, COVID. COVID. Yeah, Trump oh, one COVID. of the major ones. Yeah. Between, oh, I thought you were uh, claiming that there was election oh, fraud. <laughs> well, I mean, the, I'm not Laura Loomer. No. I don't know. Well, was, I mean, like clearly the media and the big tech censorship was a non-trivial factor. Yeah, non-trivial factor. Like, oh, yeah. like when, when you say the election's rigged, like that's a way to talk about it right there, right? Sure. <laughs> like there's a lot of confusion around like the actual election stuff but like sure. the the general framework around the election is like clearly everything was against trump yeah and, there's and coming directly from like fbi cia influence with the with the social media companies. Yeah. these are similar right? issues but we don't want to create them as the same to be clear like these are similar ways of talking about it and i actually think it's actually a, not a helpful way to talk about it, to say that that's the same thing as voter fraud right media fraud is media fraud the big tech companies betraying their own users and US becoming a mouthpiece of the FBI through US tax fraud, dollars, <laughs> but it's not right. the same sort of fraud that we're trying to talk about when we talked about like ballot fraud or mm-hmm. or things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So these are similar things, and I don't think they're I don't think they're untrivial, uh, yeah. but similar. So one of the uh, very uh, m- most re- this week we had a very interesting story come up on the Nord Stream two pipeline, an update, if you will. If you've been watching the Human Reaction podcast, you know you've gotten these as we've returned to it because, to me, we try to talk about the most important stories of our time. Kyle, do you want to load up that Fox News clip? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of this year, the one of the most important stories was you know the reaction to and the you know accusations around the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline last year, um, and specifically with the revelations that came out by Seymour Hersh this year. And a lot of the way that the media reacted to that as a fundamental criticism of the propaganda that sometimes that the media becomes as a mouthpiece of the U.S. intelligence state. So uh, we have right here is a Fox News clip from last year talking about the Nord Stream pipeline, just to remind you what went on. Welcome back to Fox and Friends. The Nord Stream pipeline's blown up and leaking tons of methane into the atmosphere. The U.S. calling this a deliberate act of sabotage while NATO threatens to retaliate. Our next guest wrote the book on Putin's playbook and says all signs point to Russia for this dangerous attack. Here to explain is Russian-born former U.S. defense intelligence officer Rebecca Koffler. We've been debating this, Rebecca, all day yesterday on the show. Um, Look, you wrote the book on on Putin's playbook. You say that the U.S. government is correct um, that this was Putin. I'm a little bit doubtful just because our government has lied. They said that Hunter Biden's laptop was disinformation. They started the same player, started the Russia hoax. So I'm always skeptical. But let's hear what you say. Of course, uh, I understand, Rachel, that U.S. government cannot be fully trusted these days 100 percent. But on this one, I actually have uh, written an op-ed on the Fox News Digital uh, website where I outline five top reasons why Russia is most likely behind this. I'm 99% certain of it. Here's why. 
Russia has the motivation. It has the doctrine that it developed specifically for this situation. It has the capability, one of the few countries, to do it covertly. Yeah, that's that's pretty much her case is that uh, they have the capability and they have the motive. She never articulates the motive. It's another minute of that madness. She's 99% certain. But she's 90. That's what you need to know. 99% certain. She left some wiggle room for error. (laughs) Just enough. Yeah. Just enough. I mean, we just hit that 1%. Just like it's likely that the buy. It's so crazy to me to watch that moment where she's like, yeah, but the government lies to us all the time. So let's have this former CIA (laughs) intelligence officer. Tell us what you think. Operation Mockingbird alive and well. (laughs) But it was former CIA people who signed the letter saying that the laptop was Russian disinformation. Let's make a general rule of thumb. A mental model, if you will. Just <laughs> make one of your brother giving me a hard time. He's not giving you a hard time. Uh, He's uh, giving you credit. <laughs> there is no such thing as former intelligence agencies. Agents. Once right. an asset, always an asset, right? I'm just saying that doesn't mean you have to discountenance everything forever. I don't I don't want to be a bad faith actor in that. I don't want to like be a collectivist, but I'm sure there are, you always need to keep a grain of salt when de- discussing someone who's a former intelligence person yeah so and she didn't do a good job pressing on any of those things like for example um what incentive does russia have to blow up their own pipeline well it turns out the incentive was probably by uh, guess what ukraine had the best incentive and this week we had a a washington post article come out saying that the ukrainian uh, military is is doing a military tribunal of a guy named roman shervinsky shervinsky did i get it right looks like it's me sounds good okay well you're always correcting me on these ukrainian names i was screwing up okay He's a colonel in the U.S. and uh, sorry, in the Ukraine Special Operation Forces, and they are saying that he uh, was integral to the sabotage operation. Uh, and this is another anonymous resource saying this is happening in Ukraine. To be clear, anonymous reporting from anonymous resources to a reporter who's saying this is legit in the Washington Post. The exact same thing that they accused uh, Seymour Hirsch of saying when he said that the U.S. government is the one who did the Nord Stream. Now, if you're a new listener who wasn't around for our discussion of that, uh, Seymour Hirsch is an ex-Pulitzer Prize winning and very famous reporter uh, who broke the My Life Massacre as well as Abu Ghab and many other you know controversial things that the U.S. government did. He has lots of contacts with the intelligence agency and is famous for breaking you know, you know, know, secret stories of the U.S. Uh, to the public. So... Uh, Seymour hasn't commented on this yet, but his explanation was that the U.S. government planned this with the Naval Special Forces operations so that they could get around um, discussing this with the what's called the Gang of Eight, which is the legislative and executive branches like come together committee that's supposed to govern the intelligence services. Sort of the inner circle in the U.S. government around that. To, to govern what the CIA is allowed to do. We're yeah. going to assassinate this guy. We're going to plan this election. We're going to overthrow this government, blah, 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 blah. The, these guys are supposed to be the ones that are going to control that. Uh, in order to avoid controlling that, he went through the military to the, to the Navy Special Forces. That's what Seymour said. This guy, Roman Shravansky, is being accused after he got in trouble with the Ukrainian military for a botched operation. He did an operation that he says was on the behest of, of um, uh, Zelensky and that operation got screwed up and it revealed to the Russians a secret air base that the Ukrainians had that then was shelled by Russian forces. So this guy's in big trouble for that. He's saying he's a fall guy that he wasn't involved and that this is only blowback from you know the failure of the mission just to use him as a scapegoat. It does solve several problems if he is. 
one, it gets it gets them out of this problem of they can now blame somebody militarily for the failure of this particular mission that he failed. And two, it allows them to say, okay, we we're gonna put a put to rest this investigation for Der Spiegel that is currently pointing at Ukraine as the as the culprits. To be clear, no one now thinks that the Russians did this. Nobody. Not a single person. She was 99% sure. But for months, the mainstream media was telling us it was. Okay, so I have a question here. So this was uh, this was a story broken by Wash- the Washington Post. Yes. Um, owned by Jeff Bezos, right? Which mm. I don't know if that's relevant or not. What a level of credibility do we give WAPO versus what level of credibility do we give Seymour Hirsch? How do we weigh these two sources in terms of the potential veracity of these two seemingly conflicting stories, especially given that Shervinsky is disputing his involvement. Yeah. And we don't know enough about him or whether or not he's a qualified person to be able to say that he's a special operations person with the Ukraine military. I mean, who's currently being persecuted by his own government. (laughs) So could he be conflicted? Of course he would want to like, you know, right. Not take responsibility for the worst industrial act of terrorism in the modern era. Come on. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, that's one of the things is ultimately what we do know is it probably isn't 99% Russia. And that that was probably, you know, war propaganda set by a bunch of people who wanted war with, russia on in ukraine so that we could degrade the russian military so that when you look at the grand tapestry of how u.s foreign policy is being implemented in the world it very quickly becomes that this is has nothing to do with democracy because either ukraine is like well one they're not a democracy right they've canceled elections this year they've distilled their they pretty much said there's only one legitimate media operation they've shut down religions they don't like etc etc like ukraine is nowhere clear close to a liberal democracy but not only that is that they're not good actors Either they weren't in charge of their own special operations that destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline and attacked Germany, a NATO ally, or they're not a or they're not in control of their own intelligence services, which means that they're a rogue state at that point. If Zelensky's not in control, then there's no democracy because he's the one who's elected. That means they're a military junta. Interesting. Well, there could be a lot of angles here too, because like if. Um Seymour Hirsch is correct and that, that there's major U.S. involvement in this. This could be a collusion that existed between like the Zelensky government and, you know, the U.S. government in order to do this, in order to pull Germany away from Russia. And, you know, like and if this guy's a fall guy and like if this is correct, that he is a fall guy for this, like it's just that covers up that story. And now we now we got a personality to blame. And it's like, oops, send him to jail, execute him, whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Biden doesn't have to reconcile with this mm-hmm. on election year. Mm, right that's part of it and then additionally to that if he's not if he wasn't even involved or if and if it was done the way seymour actually says it is it is a problem for seymour right i mean it's a problem if if it wasn't done at all by american forces at all if it was just ukrainians acting on their own uh some time ago back in like july we covered it we talked about it very briefly the washington post also put out a thing that said the cia knew that ukraine was planning this and put out a don't do this sort of message to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That's all we know, according to anonymous sources, once again. So like there's no certainty of anything in here other than that the government is lying to you to try to get you involved in a war with the largest holder of nuclear weapons in the world. And they were doing that for an entire year. Now they're calling for peace. Now the Wall Street Journal is putting out things, but they were doing that for a long time. And so many people bought this garbage and bought into it as a moral crusade based upon an anonymous reporting of this sort that would say that, well, obviously when something convenient happens, the Russians did it. 
But not if you watch the human reaction show though. Right. <laughs> right. That's why right. you watch us. Right. And, and just for people that might be wondering like why Russia was ever potentially blamed for this or pinned on this, like the Nord Stream pipeline delivers Russian natural gas to Germany. Mm-hmm. They have the power to turn it off. If they really wanted to it shut was up, off. they just turned the, the valve and it's closed. Mm-hmm. They don't have to blow it up. That's so stupid. And, and we were 99% confident that Russia did not do this. So we left or a little wiggle room. Russia later. did it. Or, we were 1% confident they didn't. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, we were 99% confident that Russia did not blow up their own pipeline. We on this show, yes. We, Yo, we, we were. Oh, yes, yes, we, yes. We, we, even we, the American collective. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. No, no, no. We, well, yeah. <laughs> we the collective we of it. human reaction. You got it. We, us, not the imperial we. <laughs> right? It's not the royal we anymore. It's the imperial, imperial we. we. Yeah. Exactly right. You're right, Kyle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was just incredulous to me at the time. And I, and I, yeah. So definitely like share this podcast with your friends so that they aren't caught into the next round of propaganda. We don't know that it's not propaganda, but we got our suspicions and we definitely talk about them. And that's, what's needed right now in this moment. Um, so that the wall street journal, you know, is now calling for, uh, it's really great. This editorial line, it's time to end magical thinking about Russia's defeat. Wow. What, this is something what? everyone was saying. A whole bunch of people were saying last winter. They're saying, oh, this this new this spring offensive is magical thinking. It's crazy. It's not going to happen. Sorry. So now is is WSJ saying, oh, well, um, we should just probably expect Poland to fall to Russia next. No, they're saying we should sue for peace like Newsweek did a couple weeks ago. So wait, but what happened to that? Because I thought if 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 we didn't defeat Russia, Putin was going to take over Poland and the rest <laughs> of Europe. I thought that was the concern. Well, well, he's trying to bring her back to the USSR, according to a singular quote taken out of context. Yeah, but you know, he's a bad guy. So now, but now they're bad willing to risk that. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem with the current moment. Like what we were saying about the Israel Hamas thing. The more you know about an issue, the more complicated it becomes. The more insane the public dialogue seems about it, right? right. Because it's like, would he, if he could, maybe? Can he? Probably not. If he was, would there be a lot of other consequences he doesn't want to have? Yeah. For sure. Is a limited mission better serve his interest? Yeah. So how could we best understand his incentives is, well, to control the sections of Ukraine that secures himself, but not all of Ukraine. And, you know, perhaps this is enough for him. You know, like, like if people who were calling for a peace treaty last year, uh, when Israel stopped a, or when, when the Great Britain stopped Israel from creating a peace treaty with Russia and Ukraine, right like months after the invasion happened at each point the american empire has come in and said no no peace we have to have a russian defeat or we're failing or democracy dies or something and now hundreds of thousands of people have died and now we're gonna say well i guess we're gonna have to do do peace that's the real tragedy here and and these guys like vivek said in the last debate everyone's slowly walking back to the position that all the non-interventionists had some time ago which is this is an insane thing that we're trying to do and we shouldn't do it and it's bankrupting us and it's going to cause a lot more lies we just need to stop the killing now i'm going to quote trump we just have to stop the killing that's the point of the foreign policy yeah well, and because you had guys like Colonel Douglas McGregor, uh, David Sachs, you had a bunch of these big figures. Mearsheimer. 
Mearsheimer, uh, like the architect of the Cold War containment strategy, was saying this is an insane yeah. proposition. And, and they were all saying, like, like there's no way in hell that U- Ukraine's winning this. Like, there's no evidence that actually suggests this. And it's been fun watching uh, David Sachs has been on X just, like, dunking on all the people. Yeah, he had everybody <laughs> bookmarked that was all critiquing him, and he's just been going back and dunking on everybody because of this Wall Street Journal opinion article here. Because right. it, it is just this this everybody so many people were living in this fantasy for so long and now it's like oh we're not going to admit that we were wrong we're just like oh there was like this fantasy you know and and there's going to be no accountability and now we've just let all these people die yeah. for the same result like you know like elon remember he was getting criticized by like Zelensky for saying that we need to come to a peace agreement here mm-hmm. and you know like now it's like yeah we have to come to a peace agreement but after however many million people died it's like this I think, is nonsense. It's, I, it's crazy. It is. It's it's absolutely insane. And I think it's important for people to recognize that like these are the receipts of the fact that the media has lied to you. And that the most important thing in my view for people to do right now is to withdraw their vote of confidence from the media by not buying into the next thing that they deliver as absolute factual truth. Right? This is it if there's not clarity around the fact that the media lies to us by these two stories within the same year that we've covered that are on the record on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, like people should recognize that. Trust me. They'll get it right next time. Of course. <laughs> they won't course. lie to us about the next war that happens to line their pockets. Just don't be a mouthpiece for the establishment that doesn't care about you. They're leveraging you to sell their position to other people so that they can make more money or get whatever ultimate objective they have. And it's just, I'm looking out for you. I don't want you to do that. So the, don't do it. The media apparatus sponsored by Raytheon would never lie to you about the next war. Of course not. <laughs> right? Of course They would not. never do that. You're right. You're absolutely right. So believe everything that you see on TV. Nikki Haley's got it right, man. <laughs> That's not even a real name. Can you believe that? <laughs> I feel so lied to. <laughs> uh, so the, one of the questions is that still remains is, are American leaders intellectual, like the Wall Street Journal article, or the political leaders, like, you know, DeSantis and folks like that calling for an end here um, to the, um, uh, you know, a peace treaty for Ukraine, Russia, because they now have a war they care more about, or is it because they actually want to end the fighting? Mm. Right. That's a good, that's not like a very open question because yeah. it, it really wasn't until Israel Hamas became the main story that we've backed. We've, you know, that, that we've seen these kind of transformations happen. So is that the next thing that they want you to buy into? Is that is this the next good question thing? Yeah, I mean the, the, the Israelis don't need our munitions as much. I mean we do are selling them JDM rockets and parts of the and like the Iron Dome and stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean it's not nearly as big of a conflict. So how long until China? Yeah, until that's the next one, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the last. I mean, it's the next one, other than maybe Iran, right? Well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to happen. None of these things have to happen. These are all choices, to be clear. And a conflict with China doesn't have to happen. We can make a decision, such as President G came to America actually this this week, um, and you know, it's really unfortunate, right? Because this could have been a great opportunity to try to normalize relations. Some of that did happen. Uh, for example, uh, after the Chinese balloon situation which I want to know did not collect any information of Americans nor transmitted according to the DOD. Oh, oh, so now we're going to trust the DOD. <laughs> right? If you're going to use a DOD to say it's a spy balloon, then you also have to trust the DOD to be able to, because remember what happened here? The Chinese said this was a, a upper atmosphere testing scientific device that they lost control of. Right. And so 
They lost control of it. That's what they said. And then our DOD said, no, it's a spy line. But then the DOD then months later said, but they didn't collect any information. They neither collected nor transmitted is what they said. Partially because of what they were saying. They say they were like jamming at signals and stuff like that. But it, it, it didn't collect anything either. So it, it, that was also interesting, right? Because if it was a Chinese like spy balloon thing, it failed miserably and would be a terrible diplomatic crisis. Because since that time, there's been no that the normalized relations have ended with with China, right? The two militaries don't talk to each other like they should about security stuff, specifically in the South China Sea. Sure. So one of the goals here for Z was to reestablish that because that's what could lead to an escalation that goes to war. Right. So this is could be a peace mission. Um, the big two things that happened is that afterwards there was a there was a <laughs> this video with. Uh, uh, with our boy Secretary of State Blinken, um, Tony B. Hearing the press ask uh, President an interesting question. For those of you oh, listening, yeah, this is very important. This is going to make a lot more sense to the visual listeners yeah. because yeah. this this entire video is uh, watching Secretary of State Blinken's face while um, Biden has to is asked a question. So. <laughs> Mr. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Oh, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the same way. He's a guy who's running the country. Yikes. Okay, to describe this to people who might have only listened to that, you know, it's a, it's a slow zoom in on Anthony Blinken. As President Biden says, Yes, Pre- uh, Xi is a dictator. And he's just he just winces. But it's so subtle and to his credit, it's very subtle. But but you can just feel like a, you can feel it in his heart. He's just like, oh, this is going to be so much work for me. Yeah, cause, well, especially because Blinken's probably worked behind the scenes a lot yeah. over the last year to like make this happen. And so he's just like watching just Biden just Ugh, just destroy this isn't useful rhetoric for the for the cause man like, no stop no stop Additionally, that uh, when biden called g a dictator last this summer after the chinese balloon incident it was a big thing he had to do a media circle circuit where he was playing the game and being like well we got to get our partners to the table and all this kind of stuff and trying to recoup from biden's previous gaffe so this is a return to the gaffe he made this last summer um, and a huge problem, obviously, for the prospects of the relations. Now, importantly, do you think Biden remembers the gaffe from earlier this summer? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Excellent. excellent this could question. be the first time he's ever said this. His, his, handler, his handlers probably should have reminded him about it before going into this. Yeah. Now, remember, President Xi is not a dictator. When you are asked, is he a dictator? No, he is not. Well, and then Biden's like, oh, what did they tell me to do at this moment? <laughs> President Xi is a dictator. <laughs> Communist country. <laughs> Hardline. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, this is a this is a fun one we're going to get into here. Uh, yeah, to close out the episode right here, um, I'm going to be honest. I spent zero effort to really understand or care oh, about uh, to care about what happened right here. Yeah, but I, I just think that there was it was a very viral moment of something that broke out on a Senate committee hearing. Yeah, um, this has been building up for some time. These guys have been like having a Twitter war. Like there was a tweet. There was a, they actually had a committee hearing earlier where this also got into some you know into some fire so this is what hit a new breaking point a union leader and a uh senator Senator, yeah from oklahoma having a having a beef yep like a literal being chaired by bernie sanders himself yeah this is great check it out like he's self-made 
Sir, I wish you was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company myself. He's quoting a tweet. And my wife is right running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act and these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, stop it. <laughs> Big <laughs> guy. <laughs> no, no, sit down. Up. As he stands up out of his chair as if he's about to fight him. Actively. Oh, okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Hold it. Hold it. If we can, no, I have my, I'm sorry. This is what he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. It's <laughs> oh, so funny. Grandpa Bernie laying down the law, <laughs> banging the gavel. Good job, Bernie. I got to say, good job, man. Like, we don't need that stuff. No, I mean, not, that's not, very unbecoming of a, yeah. of a United States senator, although I would have loved to see them actually go. But totally becoming of a U.S. or of a, of a, of a union thug who's obviously trying to tempt him into that situation. The strategy was terrible on behalf of the senator, right? Yeah. His, he can't be. He should call him out and be like, what are you, a kid? Were you a child? Are we supposed to fight? What is this stuff? Like, that would be a better, you to shame the opposition, not to be like, well, the people of my district will only respect me if I duke this guy out on this, in the Senate hall. To be fair, this may play well for his reelection campaign. Uh, I bet it would. I bet, I bet there are virtues. I bet, I, I'm not saying from a campaign point of view, there's all kinds of virtues to it other oh, than yeah. the union crowd are not going to be pumped, but I don't think he gets on that, you know, good situation. Well, is, is he a Democrat, Republican? Bubble. Okay, so I, yeah. I, I don't know how much the do Republicans very often, if ever, get supported by oh yeah unions yeah yeah yeah, yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah, sure I, mean, I just Trump only was. know of them as more supporting Democrats typically I mean, right yeah I mean it's not like not the dollar but union votes for sure. it happens yeah yeah, yeah I mean it, it, it you're not wrong big labor doesn't have the same power it had in the past right to work laws you know have made it so that people can divert their money away from the union if they don't like their political spending um additionally that there's you know there's just let more automation has meant less labor in manufacturing and that's meant that they just don't have the same amount of power that they used to have sure um so th there's um but there's been a long-term effort from republicans to cultivate union votes since reagan right because yeah. you a lot of blue call people realize when the economy's good their lives are better, right? So, yeah. um, and then Trump definitely did that with the trade wars with China and his kind of economic vision. So, um, but yeah. real, real talk, uh, who who would win in the fight? Yeah, the senator. Yeah, I, I think the senator too. Yeah, one hundred percent. He looks more fit, just yeah. you know, from on the surface here. <laughs> uh, but it depends. I mean, there's there's training involved. Like if one of these guys has some some real martial arts training, that that could be a factor. Should we mention that Dave and I both know the aid in the background? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the look on our face is hilarious. Uh, this, did, this did come up in the Discord. It was like, oh my god, that's our that's our friend right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, we did we did try to get her on the show. She was fairly confident she would get fired if she <laughs> did come on the show. So, to respect that, yeah, but we did. So hilarious. Like, and then like the person behind the union guy is also has this very like, what this is really happening face on. It's so great. Yeah, you got to go watch the clip and 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 look. <laughs> at the reactions yeah to the, of the two aides in the back it's hilarious yeah bernie 
locking it down. So I, I do think it is, it, there's a, there was a Wall Street Journal article today about like rising political violence in the Capitol mm. and kind of, kind of comparing it to the pre-Civil War era. Uh, obviously, a guy was caned to death for introducing, you know, anti-slavery um, amendments before the Civil War. Right? Wasn't that the introduction of the Republican Party too? Yeah. Was that moment? Yeah. I don't know if he died. Oh, that. I'm pretty sure he died from the injuries. I think he died. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he died eventually. That's well, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, he's I still alive. Want, he's a vampire. Yeah. I, I'm I just, just saying. I don't want to have false information. No, no, that's a good point. I'm pretty sure he died. Uh, I think he had to retire and maybe eventually died, but like he didn't die immediately like from it. The attack. More importantly, should we bring back dueling? That's what I was saying. Like, I actually think a lot of our political problems would be solved <laughs> if there was actually some stakes on it for these congressmen. Like, instead of just being like, oh, donor dollars and votes, it's just like, no, you're dueling. Fight it out. Let's just get Dana White involved. Let's let's put people into the octagon. Screw professional fighters. Let's get amateurs in there. Let's get senators and union bosses. Maybe that's what Trump and Tucker were talking about with Dana White at the UFC fight yes. when they walked out. That was a viral moment. Let's go. Maybe maybe it's just like let's bring this back. Let's bring this to DC. Dude. Let's expand the empire of the UFC. I love it. Let's get let's get you a government contract and start hosting public duels between congressmen and senators. I like that. Make, I, I love that. Make my day. Make my day. Uh, well, I think you might be right. You might be right. I, I, for some reason, I thought that he died from a head injury afterwards. So it says, so Brooks, uh, Preston Brooks was the one who did it. He mm-hmm. actually died soon after because he uh, had a house censure resolution. He resigned, uh, was immediately reelected, and then says soon thereafter died at age 37. But Sumner, who was the one actually caned, uh, remained in the Senate for another 18 years. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, so I was wrong. I mean, we, we have had congressmen that have gotten shot, and they're still active, right? Scalia, he got shot at the baseball field, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, political violence, the rise of political violence in, you know, in the last 10 years has been a major phenomenon. Right, remember Rand Paul getting tackled by his neighbor on the lawnmower? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Whenever we talk about duels... All Did I, can... I say Ron? I meant Rand. Rand. You said Rand. Yeah, you said Rand. I did say Rand. Yeah. Rand. Whenever I think about this topic, I think about that Got Milk commercial with like the guy who's like the Aaron Burr fanatic and he and he's eating a peanut butter sandwich, but he doesn't have any milk. And the radio's like, next caller who calls and tells us who shot Alexander, is Alexander Hamilton he shot? Who was yes. it? Yes. And, uh, and he's like, oh, he picks up the phone. He's like, you're the caller. Who shot Alexander Hamilton? Um, and he's got like a mouthful of peanut butter sandwich and he's like oh crap like he can't understand me what did you say pours the milk there's no milk in there he's like no we'll have to just play it because me describing it is <laughs> way like, less interesting right have now? you not seen this no it's I like one of the most this. famous commercials i, I, of all time. I, I have i just i'm va- it's, it's a vague. milk commercial it's yeah we'll, we'll go ahead and end the show got milk. <laughs> on that note with a got milk commercial <laughs> thanks jake Thanks, guys. Thank you for watching. We love you. And uh, join the Discord if you know how. And if you don't, uh, well, we'll 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 send you some some mail. See you guys. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash humanreactionpod.